most of the time, uh, we start with pretty uniform conveyances from the United States of America. In Texas, they have, you know, the King of Spain. Rocks Exploration, our family-owned small business, this is Rocks Energy, a show about the oil and gas industry as we live it and breathe it each day. I'm Adam Oxen. Let's get on with the show. David Mahaffey, welcome to the Rocks Energy podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited to do this. Um, because, you know, like we were talking about, I mean, I think there's so many facets of like our industry um, and especially like what's going on in the world right now where, where it's very top of mind for everyone with the gas prices where they are, like, where does oil and gas come from? How does energy production work? And there's this whole range, right, from all of this unseen work that has to go on um, before it ever ends up at the end user, right? You've got, you've got the downstream, you've got the midstream, you've got the upstream, but then like what we're going to talk about today is you've got the whole legal and title side of things. And so that's your background. Why don't you explain your particular type of law practice, um, in the oil and gas industry, like frame it up how you, how you'd explain it to an outsider. Right. I think it's, um, well, I think for an outsider from outside the United States, it might seem odd that you know, the very concept that there could be private ownership of um, mineral rights. Uh, a lot of countries, you know, that's not the case. Uh, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, there's a long list of countries that have nationalized the energy resources for um, quite a while. And uh, of course, a title opinion it would be pretty easy to do. I think in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia would just be, uh, we'd list them as with 100% ownership of everything, the uh, king. But um, of course, in uh, in the United States and following you know, the common law tradition, which we've extended to from the, if in most of the time, for example, in Oklahoma from statehood, um, the farmer would be patented. 40 acres, 160 acres, and the farmer gets the rights from the surface and every down to, um, people used to say, the surface to China. And so, um, the, um, you know, it starts oftentimes in Oklahoma with the, the farmer and we go to the county records and um, look at a particular governmental section of land or a part of that section to try to determine, you know, who owns who owns the rights to the oil and gas um, underlying that land, and um, it can be, you know, um, one person or it could be, you know, fractionalized into many different owners. And so there's, I think that's the the, the first goal is to tell our client um, who they would have to pay um, if they were able to get the rights to go and drill a well there. How much they would have to pay? How much they can? Uh, how much interest, fractional interest, they can hope to get in that land if they lease the the mineral owner, and then beyond that number and supporting that number, all of the ambiguities and defects and missed steps and uh, what is this? What is this? Um, it says it's a warranty deed, but it doesn't really do anything that you would think a warranty deed would do. Type of uh, instruments, and then we. Um, sometimes or oftentimes 
the schedule of interests, which I think you you work putting division orders together for you know oil and gas wells, where they we typically take them out to seven digits, um, which you know contemplates a million dollars for every million dollars that the well produces. This is where each dollar goes, and um, to make all those add up to one, you know, at a decimal point, uh, sometimes you have to you have to make some assumptions. Where um, and then there'll be a we'll make a title requirement to say, hey, we've assumed this. We could be wrong, but um, if you want to make sure, you need to go and probate this estate, or this person needs to quit claim here. So um, that's title examination and oil and gas title examination in Oklahoma. And you alluded to that there, like with um, like a lot of people, what's familiar to them, right, is like, I'm going to buy a house and own a house. And you own your lot, right, that your house is built on. And what you're giving an example of is like in Oklahoma, and you might speak to whether this is true in other states or not, right, um, um, the minerals, the underlying uh, subsurface rights can be severed from the surface rights in Oklahoma. Is that true across the country or is that relative state to state? I think it's pretty, and, and I only really practice in, I mean, title examination in Oklahoma, but I, I think that's pretty consistent throughout the country. Of course, there, um, there are some states I know have very particular laws about um, how long a severance of the mineral estate from the surface can be effective. I think Michigan um, has some type of statute where the, if there's a severance of the minerals, somebody, you know, reserves the minerals and sells the uh, surface. Um, I think that, as I think uh, it's my understanding that unless that person who reserved the minerals and severed them in the first place files an affidavit or something like that in a certain time period, then the minerals will, will eventually merge back to the, to the surface. And I know, um, of course, Louisiana has its own particular laws for many things, um, and uh, so yeah, I think there there generally I think the uh, I think severance is pretty common, but of course there are particularities in each jurisdiction. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, sh I should back up. I mean, I didn't even mention. I mean, I think we've kind of got into the fact and realized, that, you know, this part of the the podcast that people realize that you you know do oil and gas title. But uh, tell us a little bit about like your path into the oil and gas uh, law practice, and then also about a little bit about the firm Mahaffey and Gore. Yeah, my uh, my dad um, Greg Mahaffey and uh, his partner Dick Gore. Uh, founded the firm about, I think it's 42 years ago. Um, they previously worked together and it's, um, and so they've been, you know, practicing oil and gas law for almost 50 years and 42 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, and so we, uh, it's a relatively speaking, a, a middle sized small, probably, I think we have 17 attorneys and, um, we're a business law firm. It's just that all, most all of our clients, well, not all, but are either mineral owners or oil and gas companies, and we um, represent. Uh, we, like I said, we represent the you know the farmer I talked about earlier, who you know maybe he owns the farm and the mineral rights, and the big company is trying to lease him, 
um, and we represent a few companies that are publicly traded, but um, you know, quite a few uh, smaller to mid-sized businesses, um, even even family businesses that are um, you know really important to us. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, did you know? Like, was it like dad's an attorney? Like. I'm going to take up the the same line of business. I'm going to join the family firm. Like, did, was that, or was there some question there or? No, the you know, I, well, I grew up, I mean, he's, he practices a lot at the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, which is the, anybody has know, the regulatory body here in Oklahoma um, for, among other things, oil and gas exploration and development. Um, so um, I remember going, you know, with him a number of times out there and, uh, and then of course spending time at this, you, you know, when I was a kid, even with some of the people that I work with today. So I think it was always there. And when I, when I happened to graduate from law school in two, in around 2006, there was 2005, 2007, there was a new uh, kind of a boom in Oklahoma and there was a generational gap, uh, a generational cliff, I guess, for title examiners, the title examiners throughout, really Oklahoma, the legal field were the last batch had been trained in the previous boom around 1980 or a little earlier. So the firm had one title examiner uh, left. It was the great Bruce Rooker. Um, and, um, um, and me and my friend and uh, Matt Jankowski were hired about the same time. And they said, we're going to trade in Bruce trained these young guys to be title examiners. And, uh, so, uh, uh, so that was, uh, you know, a, a great, you know, a great experience for me. I don't know about Bruce, um, <laughs> but he so, taught me everything I know, if not everything he knows. That's awesome. That's great. So it, was, it sounds like it was a natural kind of like, you know, you saw your dad practicing, you were a part of that. some, and like, it was just a natural, just, 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 just a natural transition to go from being a, an observer to a participant in the firm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'd, I'd worked as a runner there kind of off and on. So it was kind of, uh, um, uh, a little different being on the, you know, on, on the other, the other side, I was an attorney, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So. That's awesome. So like, let's jump over now, like getting into, you know, getting into the practice and like, you know, obviously you had to, go to school, get your law degree and all that. But like, is there like an interesting like history to oil and gas title? I mean, where does it, I mean, we talked about like the reality of how it is, how it functions these days, but you even mentioned like if you were running title in Saudi Arabia, it's well, okay, the king owns this maybe. And, but like, how did we get to where we are today? What's the, what's the backstory for like the way our private property ownership and these laws function is there is there a fun like uh, rabbit trail like history story to, to go down absolutely I, I think there is and someone you know really versed in the history of 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 english common law i think would be the one to start it i think it's well before going far back the prim, the premise being that in oklahoma um, and a lot of other places, the oil and gas and the, the minerals underlying that surface of land are, are real property. They're considered real property, just like the surface of the land itself. Um, and so when you think of it that way, that the, the mineral rights are no different than the surface 
in terms of ownership and a piece of property, then um, what oil and gas attorneys and the, the great godfather of all oil and gas attorneys in Oklahoma, uh, Eugene Kuntz, talked about was um, the bundle of sticks. When you, when you own a piece of property, and, and this idea can be true of the surface as well. You know, when you own the surface, you can uh, you can lease it. You can give part of it for an easement. You can do all these. You can peel away all these little rights and sell them and lease them and give them out for a term. And of course, that um, that concept goes um, back to um, uh, you know back to the the time when people would symbolically trade peppercorns for consideration in a contract. So it's an ancient uh, concept. And I think it's, um, anyway, I think that's, that's kind of the, the historical genesis of what we do as oil and gas attorneys and, and really in the industry is that's especially in, in a place like, um, Oklahoma, I think where we see so many just in the industry, um, depth severances and there are different, I mean, the same piece of land over the course of, 60, 70 years, you see people exploring one depth at one time. And then say in 2006, 2007, um, you know, with the current or the more recent booms that technology changes and the deeper depths become more economical to go and uh, explore and develop. And so those um, sticks um, can become cut into finer little tinier sticks right right yeah no that's interesting i mean i i guess it's i guess probably the story i mean right with with oil and gas really coming into what in pennsylvania really breaking out and then kind of spreading across the country i guess you have probably just a lot of wildcatters explorers right these things happening and people have are adapt right their the ownership like the private property and saying oh well hey like i want to make a deal and like how much is i mean i think we think of it like this is the law this is the way the system is but it's really a bunch of people got really creative and came up with different agreements maybe handshake deals but then these things all maybe in texas it developed one way in oklahoma and another in different re- pennsylvania to the point where you get all these things codified into kind of law and like understood practices. Right. But at one point, all of this was very novel and new and like, well, we got to, I mean, we just got to, this is what we want to do. Let's, let's shake hands. Let's make an agreement and go. Right. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, and the law, you know, in a place like Oklahoma is a great example where um, the law um, follows the industry and follows the trends that Oklahoma realized, I think early on as a, you know, the state that hey this is you know we this is a resource that we have um an important resource for a, a new state a new agricultural state um and um so the policy i think for a long time in oklahoma has been pro development generally you know pro industry pro um and so the and so you get something like you know forced pooling in Oklahoma, which follows the, you know, we're going to encourage development and here's your chance to, um, get in the oil business or take the royalty, but we're not going to let one hold out, um, hold everybody else up. That is something that sets Oklahoma apart is, is, is like you mentioned forced pooling. So for someone who maybe doesn't, um, 
hasn't heard of that. I know, I know, you know, pooling doesn't exist in Texas. Um, but for someone who's okay, I mean, let's say, let's explain a little bit on like the ownership in say a drilling well, right. Or producing well, you've got working interest and these are the partners who are going to come in together and put up the money to go drill the well, right. Then you have the royalty owners or the override owners, all these people who own the underlying minerals, right? And they get a royalty and they can do a couple of things with those minerals that they own, right? They can participate. They can just lease those minerals. And so can you explain that a little bit, um, like the force pooling process and what that looks like um, for us? Sure, sure. I think it, if we if we go back to the the sticks and we think of it, the the owner of a mineral interest whose interest isn't subject to a lease, they just own, um, say, a, an interest in the minerals underlying the lands, and they have they have all the sticks that go with that. They can, which means that they can go drill their own well. Yeah, uh, they have Good the right point. to go drill yeah. a well right now. And yeah, so if there are you know four owners of severed mineral interests and under attractive land and one of them wants to drill a well, um, then, um, the, uh, and thinks that that square of land is the, you know, is, you know, geologically suitable to producing whatever it is they want to produce. Then they would go to the Oklahoma corporation commission and number David, one, wait, asks, wait, let's make it more complicated. Yeah. There's yeah. four unders, four owners under that tract of land and they are not, equal in their ownership under the land. <laughs> right. And the sure. one who wants the one who wants to drill under that owns, let's say he owns uh 10% and the other three each own 30%. Okay. So what's his pathway forward? I guess he could get them he could try to get an oil and gas lease from the other three owners or some of them. Um, and I think, so let's say he does, let's say he gets two leases and he's got 70% and he's at 70%, but but he can't get that last 30. Where does force pooling come in there? So he will, um, go to the Oklahoma corporation commission and he will ask the commission to declare that area to be a drilling and spacing unit, um, for whatever depth he wants to produce whatever hydrocarbon it is. And the 30% owner may dispute that and may protest it. There could be a um, dispute of the kind that they have at the Corporation Commission where dueling geologists may testify as to the um, wisdom of um, the plan to develop it. But um, uh, anyway, if he prevails, then he gets, then that's, that area is declared as a unit. And his next step would be then to ask, okay, we've got my unit, which is the sec, the section of land or whatever. And I'm going to seek to pool these interests. So at that point, he would give notice to the 30% owner that he's going to pool the interest. And the 30% owner would then, um, course he would have the right to go and protest that too but assuming that he succeeds in the commission granting his application that 30 percent owner would have a certain time period to elect to either assign you know or if 
effectively lease um, his interest to drill a well, his right to drill a well to the 70% owner um, or to pay his proportionate share of costs in the well and become a partner with the 70% owner he's been arguing with for the last two (laughs) proceedings at the commission. Hey, it's Adam here. I wanted to tell you more about Rocks Exploration. At Rocks, we drill, complete, and operate oil and gas wells right here in Oklahoma. What does that mean? That means we make money through the drill bit by drilling for and producing oil and gas. But we also make money for our working interest partners. What's a working interest partner? That's an individual or small business that invests in an oil and gas well. It's not unlike a real estate investment. You see, drilling a well is extremely costly from geology to land to legal to drilling and completion and production. It takes a lot of time, resources, and people. Rocks takes care of all of that, and our working interest partners align with us to take advantage of our expertise and experience. Each drilling project brings together tax write-offs and potentially high ROIs. So if you're interested in learning more about Rocks exploration and our drilling projects, head to rocks.energy. That's www.rox.energy to find out more. And the whole point and purpose being that, like you said, pro-development, this project won't be held up when there's a majority of ownership that wants to develop it. It will force a decision to either participate, to lease, whatever. And this comes in and becomes really important when you have unlocatable owners as well, right? I mean, this is when you talk about title and you mentioned those sticks getting broke up and maybe handed down and heirs, I mean, it can get really complicated really quickly. Absolutely. Um, people disappear. They show up in the county records, say there are the grantee under a mineral deed in 1965, and then there's nothing from them for the rest of time. And uh, or even earlier than that, and you have a, you know, time would suggest that that person is deceased, but they haven't filed anything of record. Um, really hard to find them. You make a, a diligent and meaningful search, as they say, to go and locate this record owner and just come up uh, with nothing. Yeah, it's possible to give them notice by publication and then just uh, proceed and hold that money that they would uh, have as a royalty until, you know, somebody can claim it. Yeah. No, I think that's a great overview and kind of an explanation. And people, obviously it can get, like we said with that, it can get very, title can get extremely complicated. It can be, maybe it can be really simple, but a lot of times it can be quite complicated and quite creative, especially if you get, I don't know, uh, rivers in there and, and, and boundaries. Rivers, rivers are, yeah, rivers <laughs> can be a challenge and you can, yeah, that's, and then there are surveys and uh, riparian issues with uh, accretion and avulsion and all that. And, and of course there's the, you know, it's the, also it's the history of a piece of land, which, which means it's the history of the people who lived there, who owned it. And you see all kinds of, uh, you know, you see the, um, Soldiers and Sailors Act in World War II. You see the people who went off to fight in World War II and who come back. Um, divorces, you know, unacknowledged children who show up after um, things like that. And um, really just uh, sometimes interesting stories from the county records. Speaking of interesting stories, let us talk about this original title opinion that you sent me, which... I did not know. You said this is like, this is 
What what was the wording you said? You said this is like this is like a something for title attorney. This is like everybody. This is like a gold standard. This is like lore. Yeah, it's it's a classic, I think, for uh, title examiners everywhere, and it's uh, um, from Texas. Um, so it's kind of you know. Uh, I I just want to read like. Um, I just want to read a couple excerpts from it <laughs> and then let's get into it. Is that okay? Is that a good way to start? Yeah, or no? I think, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So this is the original title opinion. State is Texas County Marion. The tract is a proposed drill site. It's to a Mr. John Coulter at Chevron uh, in new Orleans. And this is from, um, who's the attorney? John, Minton? Is that what it is? Minton or Hinton? I think so, yeah. Yeah, John, Minton. John, John Minton. Minton. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read this. <laughs> a couple of these. I'll just kind of skim and add. Dear Mr. Coulter, pursuant to your request, we have examined an abstract of title in seven parts covering the above-mentioned premises northeast of Jefferson, Texas, and report the following. Don't buy the GD lease. The <laughs> That's what it's a G uh, hyphen hyphen D hyphen 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 lease. Don't buy... That you know what lease, okay? Uh, it has been my sorrow. I just think this is amazing writing right here. This is incredible. Incredible. It has been my sorrow and burden to look over several horrible examples of a title examiner's nightmare. But this alleged title takes the cut glass fly swatter. It is my private belief that you couldn't cure the defects if you sued everybody from the Spanish government who started this mess on down to the present possessor of the land who is in there by virtue of a peculiar instrument optimistically designated by the abstractor as a general warranty deed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. It's like, great. Yeah. When, so uh, when you sent this over, I sent this to everyone in the office. I was like, just read this and laugh and enjoy it. And thanks. Uh, and thank David uh, Mahaffey, but where, okay. So t t what's the backstory? Like, how did, how did you learn of this? Where, I, I, you know, I've seen it a couple of times. The first, the first time I saw it, um, a friend of mine, who I, I think he was working in Dallas then sent it to me. Um, and then somebody else sent it to me from another source. So it was kind of, I think viral, you know, probably even pre-internet in its own way. Um, I should have said this but, is uh, December eleventh, nineteen eighty, is the uh, the date. Yeah, and it's it's written in kind of an, an even older voice. Um, I don't know if you ever saw True Grit, uh, or maybe oh, yeah. the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, but it kind of reminds me of uh, one of the characters in there, the way he the way he would speak, the uh, horse trader. <laughs> um, <laughs> gotcha. But uh, so yeah, it's just uh, and it's kind of. You know, it, 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 somebody told me that, you know, being at one time that being a lawyer is, a, uh, let's see, a hard way to make an easy living. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> it might've been maybe being a title lawyer is a hard way to make an easy living or something <laughs> like that. But it's kind of, you know, the title examiners, whoa, is that, uh, you're, you know, you're not doing any kind of physical labor and nobody's, um, you know, it's not the pressure cooker that litigation can be in that, uh, you know, getting ready for a trial and all that. But it, it can be a little bit, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do with it? I've got a, you know, the field notes of the Spanish grant do not close. So I'm supposed to look at this tract of land that doesn't, you know, that doesn't close and just maybe extends on for infinity if I read these, these meets and bounds. Um, 
that, that's, and that's crazy. That's what's cool about this, right? You're talking about this is going back to a period when this property was owned by the Spanish government, right? So you're, you're going back into colonial days, right? Or pre-colonial days. Yeah. Even. Yeah. And I think that's, um, other states I think have kind of, um, I mean, states that, uh, of course, Oklahoma was admitted in 1907. So we start with, uh, before that, a little bit before that, but typically it's pretty, uh, it's pretty standard. The original grants are pretty standard. They're patents from the United States of America. Um, although the, in, the, the, uh, Native American, the, uh, five tribes, that's very, that's fascinating and very distinct and, um, has its own set of laws, but, you know, we most of the time uh, we start with pretty uniform conveyances from the United States of America. In Texas, they have, you know, the King of Spain. Um, I know that uh, you know, Arkansas goes back to the 1850s, and I've heard that they have um, exciting historical things to look at. I have. We have some family friends that their um, family um, came over from Great Britain. Um, you know. Uh, I don't even know when, but they had a charter um, from the king for a grant of lands in Florida. Um, and so they still have that in their family. And they're like, what a cool piece of like history, like that you've got this charter, you know, from the king of England saying, okay, we're granting you these, these lands. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that stuff is so cool and, and fascinates me, but what, I mean, um, I mean, I'm just seeing some of the things in here that are fun. What What are some other things we need to like, to pick out here and, and enjoy or, uh, or dig into. Um, well, you know, the second to skip around a little bit, the second to last paragraph, you know, I would advise you to keep the abstracts if you can. They are a speaking testimonial to the result of notaries, public drawing instruments, County clerks who would put a menu on record if a fee was tendered and jack legged jugheads posing as lawyers. And that's, you know, that's the truth. Uh, a lot of times in Oklahoma, for sure, uh, because um, certainly, like in the in the nineteen eighties, the early boom, the boom in the late seventies, the early eighties, there were I think any Oklahoma title examiner would say that there were some remarkably ambiguous, lots and lots of remarkably ambiguous uh, conveyances. What is this supposed to convey? Um, and so. Uh, the jack-legged jugheads or, or the, um, you know, people just being their own lawyers and drafting instruments, um, is a real thing in Oklahoma for sure. Right. Do you ever feel like this? I love that the end of the, the, the this, this, uh, this letter ends with PS, you owe me $2 more for headache powders I used. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, the he headache powders. I love, yeah. I love that too. I didn't even know we had headache powders, but that was great. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. So um, kind of wrapping up, like we like to do a quick fire round at the end of these podcasts. So um, you ready to go? You ready to do a quick fire round? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Favorite book or article? I don't know if it's my favorite book ever, but I read Cloud Cuckoo Land a few months ago and it's kind of stuck in my head. I don't know what that is. Cloud Cuckoo it's Land? Cloud Cuckoo Land. It's um, I saw it on uh, iBooks or something. It had really good reviews, and it's like a you know it, it takes place in a couple of different time periods over two thousand years, like in Constantinople, and then 
in Idaho and then potentially in the near future. Uh, so it's, but it was really, it was really good. It really kind of sticks with you, I think. Cool. Time, time jumping. Very interesting. Okay. Favorite food or drink? Pizza. I'm not just saying that. Oh, you're uh, talking about, yes. Yeah. So, so pizza. You, are you like all pizzas? Are you like pizza Napolitana? Are you like Chicago style, New York? Like, well, Neapolitan for sure. Absolutely. Uh, in New York, but, um, I kind of recently discovered, uh, or rediscovered, I guess, Detroit style pizza. Yeah. Which I, I, I love when I was, you know, 12 years old and didn't know it when I liked the, like the pan pans from little Caesars. Uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't realize until recently that that's like Detroit style pizza. Right. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Best advice you've ever received. Well, you know, it's, it's cheesy, but, um, I think the, uh, somebody told me one time, actually it was Bruce Rooker. They got, and he said that he was, when he was in law school, he said one time that, man, I want to get this final over with like this finals next week and law school finals, you're only great in the whole class. Usually for a semester's worth of work, you've got four hours. And so he's grinding there, getting ready for this final. And he says this, you know, this is no good. I can't wait to get, you know, to the other side of this. And whoever he was studying with said, um, don't wish, wish away your life. And I thought, you know, it's a little, like I said, it's a little cheesy, but it's, but it's true. I mean, even that week or so of, you know, um, unpleasantness when he was studying, I mean, that's part of, that's part of it too. And so you can't, you know, if you spend all your life wishing for that good thing over there, then, you know, you're going to miss a whole lot of it. I love that. That's great. That's a great, that's a great thing to end the, this. Don't wish away your life. Enjoy the moment and get on with. That's awesome. David, thanks so much for coming on here. Um, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Where should people go if they want to find out more, if they want to connect with you or find out more about your title services or the firm, where do they go? Oh, um, well, we, we have a website. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't, um, exactly what it is i think it's mahaffygore.com um but we're um on i think uh the firm's name is uh mahaffy and gore pc and so uh, we practice uh in oklahoma all over oklahoma and um uh, we are available awesome and we'll definitely put links to the the website uh, uh in the show notes and send people that way thanks for doing this adam thanks for having me i really appreciate it for sure Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to or share with someone you think might enjoy this content. Thanks a lot for listening to Rock Synergy.